0: Hey, I'm Daniel Lobel, and welcome to episode 100 of Modern Day Philosophers. Thank you guys who have been with me since the beginning, and thank you to anyone who listens at all. In fact, uh, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we've made it this far. Maybe a little echoey in here, but this is what I've got to work with. I'm in my apartment in Edinburgh, Scotland. I'm here for the Edinburgh Festival, mate. And I'm doing my second show here. I did one last year. This is my second time doing it. And it's been cool. I've been working really hard out there every day, packing in people with flyers, doing the show out at night, trying to meet people, seeing other shows. You might hear my voice is a bit scratchy, but that's okay. I'm, uh, I'm giving it my all. And hopefully that'll do something at some point, somehow somewhere. All right, first, before anything else, I have to make some thank yous here at the top. Thank you to Alex Fasella, without whom I could not do this podcast. He's been uh, by my side since episode one, picking out the philosophers, and uh, he puts his heart into it, and he's terrific, and he's funny, and if you're in New York, you got to go see him. He's out there almost every night doing stand-up, and he's got a new podcast out now called Broadway Baby, join host Kimberly Schmidt and her husband Jay as they try to transform their friend Alex Fasella from casual theater-goer to full-out fanboy. So go check that out. I'm sure it's great. I haven't heard it yet, but I will soon. And anything that Alex Facella does that I know of so far has been great. So I stand by the man. Um... Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Logan Heftel, who has mastered the audio since the very first one. Terrific musician, and you can check his stuff out on SoundCloud. And if you ever get the chance, go and check out Logan Heftel. See him live. He's a singer, a songwriter, a producer, and one very talented human being that I'm proud to be associated with. I've got some incredible people behind me on this show. And of course, thank you to my wife, Kylie who's been there for me and with me for a lot of these interviews and traveled with me to do them and uh, has supported me and supported the show and supported my dreams and is with me here in Scotland, Uh, not with me in the room right now, but she's an incredible, amazing person and I couldn't ask for a better wife and best friend. All right, let's get into this. This is a walk down memory lane. Um, Just got some short clips for you. From modern day philosophers over the years Let's first take a listen to the very first episode A little clip from the very first few minutes Of the very first episode of Modern Day Philosophers With my first guest, Matt Kirschen. You are part of the first of something In the studio here, if we can call it a studio In the room that I'm now calling a studio Is Matt Kirshen, very Hey, Very funny dude We'll do like a fake intro now and then a real intro later. When will,
1: will this still be part of the intro? Is this gonna go out?
0: I might, like, what if I just flip between intros? Like, real intro, fake intro.
1: Like, fade in and drive out. Drive people crazy. Superimpose one on top of the other. <laughs> It'll be a beautiful thing.
0: We have got some George Barclay here. Um, are you familiar with him? Not in the slightest. Me neither. I don't know almost anything about philosophy. And. I'm not very academic, which is why I wanted to do this. I kind of uh, never took anything in school seriously. And now later in life, I'm like, man, I really wish I would have learned philosophy. Because I kind of dig it, you know?
1: Yeah, I, there's, a, there's so much in that world that I do not know in the slightest.
0: And uh, the vocabulary might hit me hard too. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some words here. How, how did I end up with George Berkeley then? Okay, so I have a, a buddy of mine very funny dude, Alex Fasella in New York, who we write scripts together. He's a great comedy writer. And he's also a, uh, he was a philosophy major. So behind the scenes, Alex Fasella is working with me. And we watched some of your clips, uh, independently, of course, he's in New Uh New York. And uh, I said, let's go with somebody who 's an English philosopher i don 't know how many u k guests i 'm going to have on here at least while i 'm recording in the u s right so let 's start with somebody who 's English and then that kind of narrowed the pool and then what we found out is that your comedy is like very thorough like you you sort of like don't you, you make very good well presented arguments in all your comedy like it 's very neat and tidy. Would you agree with
1: that? Yeah, I I take that. I think I I like I try to pick apart every bit of a subject. Exactly. Yeah. I, I try not to leave open bits. I
0: and and that's a stylistic choice. Like, lots of people might not necessarily be so analytical of every certain part of something, but it seems like
1: yeah. I think once I've got once I've got a premise, I want to see every bit of meat you can get off that bone. Right. And and also, I think it comes back to like I I did a math degree as well. Like back in the day, that was that was my pre-doing this thing. That was my student days. That makes sense. Um, and and there's, there's some of that still, like, I've, I can't remember any of my degree. <laughs> but there's definitely some of that mindset in there still of that real, like... S- approaching things laterally, but really, really going into them and yeah. working at every angle, and and trying to make everything logically consistent. Like I, I like things that are logically inconsistent in a dumb way. Like I like stupid. I like clever stupid.
0: That is what this is. This is right. clever stupid. That okay. is perfectly like I didn't say it. You you even said it for me. What we figured out about George Barclay is a guy who's like a little crazy, but super super thorough. Like leaving no stone unturned.
1: So when was he? What era are we talking?
0: Okay, he was from 1685 to 1753.
1: Oh, okay, all right. So really, so a modern man, a modern man. Like, but in (laughs) towards the towards the very beginning of like the modern period.
0: So there it is. I had no idea if the show was going to work at all, but we went for it. I had a very good, very supportive, very kind. and smart and funny first guest in Matt Kirshen, and that gave me the confidence to keep going. I mean, there's just so many of these. I had to pick some, but it's, it's hard to even pick. I did a combination of the ones that I loved and the ones that Alex loved. Uh, here's the next one. This one is also a very early episode, and it's with the fantastic Maria Bamford. Take a listen to this.
2: I was on the plane with somebody who was a clown Mm. Now think about that. They're a clown. They said the most uncomfortable thing they had ever seen was a stand-up comedian perform. I was like, "You're a clown," <laughs> and not not like a not not like a children's clown where it's like the kids are kind of playing along, right. but like a French, a f- like serious clown with a red rubber nose and that's it. Yeah. White face. Like that... I mean, I'm saying that's beautiful, but but you you think that's less uncomfortable than watching stand-up? Like, like stand-up is so false, mm-hmm. you know, it's, or so... <laughs>
0: it, it's interesting. I think the clown is really hiding themselves in comedy. more. I mean, everything with the makeup and the costume. I mean, you have no... Perception of who this person is and where a comedians fully putting themselves out there
2: Uh, But not really
0: well at at their best. They are aren't they like
2: not really because you uh, you have I think you just have so much more power like you're amplified you it's louder you're Lit people are already afraid of you because you're standing up above them Usually
0: you think the power diminishes the vulnerability.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh my god. Yes. Yes
0: Yes. But what about guys like Richard Pryor who really like
2: okay, this okay, okay this I'm, would be this would be the hardest stand-up set. Okay, this is what I want to see. I want to see a whispered set, okay, in a stadium from beneath the crowd, okay? And I want to see okay, and I want to see it done for a group of people who are uh deeply religious, maybe deeply Christian, but also Chinese, okay? So there's a language barrier, there's a belief barrier, and you're, they can't hear you, and you're, you're physically barrier. beneath them,
3: yeah.
2: and maybe they can't see you either. Yeah. And then I want to see you destroy Danny Lubelle.
0: <laughs> I can do it. How much does it pay? i That's what I do. I go out and I challenge myself. (laughs) That's my demographic.
2: (laughs) What I do now, I took a scuba. I went into a submarine, bottom of the ocean, a thousand, a (laughs) mile down. I go down there. I bring two audience members. One of them doesn't want to be there. One of them's on the fence. If I can make those two guys laugh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know that the set's tight. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it
0: on. Okay, so, so... Okay, I hear what you're saying.
2: You should be able to work any room. <gasps> or submarine. Or enclosed
0: space. S- or- so you're taking away <laughs> as much power as you can from the comic. Yes. Well, what about writing? What about like if a comic writes a book? Yes. Um, and that material in the book... Is the same material that they perform.
2: Well you know what? Oh, yes. that's interesting. well oh right. Well, number one I've to- I've been told that I shouldn't do that. Somebody told me that you should you should you should write new material for the book. You shouldn't just rewrite the jokes that you already wrote. Which is seems reasonable. But um I've never I haven't written a book. Okay, so uh but uh But one of the things that this connects with Sartre (laughs) is that Sartre had the kind of the... Which is a bit of a stand-up characteristic of like, I don't care. I don't care what you think. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need people. Actually, I don't want people. I don't want people to like this. I'm not a part of the machine. Mm -hmm. And in fact... But yet they have hundreds of people watching them or, right. you know, so, or they have a Twitter or Facebook account. So it's like obvious, oh, we do want somebody. <laughs> so, so that's like in writing a book, it is like Sartre writing a book, like, I don't people are the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put out these hundred pages if you want to buy it. It's cool.
0: So, yeah, when I listened back to that one, I remember how nervous I was going to Maria's house. I brought my dog and I just was, you know, she's somebody I looked up to and still look up to uh, quite a bit. And she's very funny and very talented, and I thought, ah, maybe this idea is stupid. I, I was still so early into the podcast, I'm like, maybe she's gonna say, what do you, why'd you come here with this? And I, I don't know. I got there, she was so warm and friendly and funny, and we got into this great conversation, and uh, it's cool to go back and listen to it, and I can hear the nervousness in my voice here is a clip with Bill Burr uh, as we move ahead and I was very sick I remember the day I recorded this with him but I was trying to hide it and I think I did successfully hide it he never brought it up I never brought it up I probably should have just told him I should have been honest and said hey I'm I'm pretty sick but I thought he might say ah let's do it another time and it wouldn't happen I was scared I thought he'd be like ah we'll do it when you're feeling better sometime so I'd uh, I'd been looking forward to it happening and it took a while to schedule and I was like I better just pull it together and I remember my brain was in a cloud which is very hard you know when you have the pressure of talking to somebody when you're talking to somebody like Bill Burr who's who's pretty brilliant and talking about philosophy um, it's not the best time to not be able to uh, access some of your thoughts but I think I pulled it off and I do remember this was a fascinating conversation for me to listen back to. I also remember I didn't say very much because I was just trying to um, get, get through it, I guess. I also remember I didn't say very much because I was uh, trying not to sound like an idiot because I couldn't think clearly. I you know, that sounds like an excuse, but it's the truth. So uh, I listened back to it, and Bill Burr had, as always, some amazing insights on Adam Smith. You know, I'm walking around the Edinburgh Festival, and I saw there's a big statue. Of course, Adam Smith was a Scot, and there's a big statue of Adam Smith right by my venue. So, uh, Bill Burr, here's a little of Bill Burr's
4: talk with me regarding bankers. Nothing yeah. better than drinking with a Scottish guy. You can't understand him at the beginning of the night, by the end of the night. <laughs> Especially
2: Cavanaugh.
4: Is... I like they don't say yeah, they go, hey. You feel like you're hey. hanging out with a bunch of pirates.
0: And, and he wrote the book Wealth of, The Wealth of Nations, which was published in 1776. Okay. Um, Bill Burr,
4: Adam Smith, I like it. Yeah. I added, I added a syllable. <laughs> it's moving up in the world.
0: Alex picked him, he said, because he found somewhere that you are distrustful
4: of bankers. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, I am they're, too. But they're boy. the biggest criminals on the planet. You go high enough up, they're literally counterfeiting money. Just I, I'm distrustful it. of money. I don't even, you know, it's just. I, I just find it hilarious that, like, I just love that thing. How we all work all week, and then when you're done, you just get this piece of paper with like numbers on it, and then you go down and you hand it to these guys, who are some of the biggest criminals ever. We're too big to fail. You deal with it. You pay our tab. Like these absolute gangsters, and just still throughout all of it, you just hand it to them. These guys who gave like homeless people well, half mean, a million dollar going loans going back for houses. Step,
0: let's say you don't give them the piece of paper with the numbers on it. I still don't trust it. I don't trust the piece of paper with the numbers on it. That that right. that equals my work. It's a belief system. It, it, whenever I travel and do gigs overseas, I just what, what would you like, get paid in you know? barley and flour? Gold. I want the gold standard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's better actually. That barley would be a good flour. mix:
4: barley, flour, and some gold. <laughs> what you really want is silver. Yeah, I give somebody. <laughs> you don't give somebody gold for a sandwich. You give me. You give me some silver. That's worth like twenty bucks. Right. I you want know? something that
0: like. A, I love your
4: dogs, by the way. Yeah. Sorry about that. By the way, no, that dogs. That was your dog?
0: Yeah.
4: That's awesome. Dogs, don't bu- Dogs barking, don't bug me, and babies crying on airplane, do not bug me.
0: Why don't babies cry on, just because that's how babies are? You, uh, you just give them that. The... No,
4: but the, what, beyond that, they're expressing exactly what I'm feeling. The second <laughs> I get on there, and I'm like, oh, God, another five-hour flight or whatever, 10-hour flight, depending on where I'm going.
0: They're just honest. You love their honesty.
4: I would love to be able to do that. Let out a whale mm-hmm. and just get it out of you, you know? <laughs> so... Just when I watch people putting their jackets in the overhead compartment as they're saying, don't put your jackets up there, right. and they're deliberately ignoring it. And in that moment, I see why it's never going to work, like how people are never, it, we're never going to get to a utopia. Yeah. Just in that moment of watching that guy as they're like, you know, people, please don't put your jackets up in the overhead compartments until all the bags are up there. And somebody's stuffing this, I'm going to Antarctica, <laughs> snorkel jacket up there. When I just see that, that selfishness. Yeah. And I'm not judging the guy because I can relate because I'm selfish and I just look at it and I go, that's right there, is the reason. Yeah. That right there, well, it, it's kinda... is, is the seed of why we're never gonna we're, we're never gonna get along. Bill Burr, always wonderful.
0: Uh, so moving along through this clip show, I don't want to spend too much time uh, in between the clips talking because I imagine you probably want to hear the clips. So. This one here is Melissa Villasenor, who's gone on to do Saturday Night Live, incredibly talented comedian, impressionist. And this is one of my favorite episodes. We talked about Vasily Kandinsky, and uh, we talked about art, and I remember this being one of those podcasts that kind of changed the way I thought about things, and I mean, a lot of these did. I mean, I've grown so much. I feel in terms of the way I see the world from doing this podcast, but this is one of those episodes that really changed my perspective. So listen to this. The artist must have a skilled hand, but also our mental strings must be properly tuned to understand what he's going for. Kandinsky thinks art comes from the unconscious mind, not the rational mind. And hence abstract art is the purest form because of its lack of reason. Okay kandinsky believes artists to be at the top of the spiritual pyramid and they must help us advance towards the top in decadent times our souls as he refers to the spirit part of us are at the bottom and artists must pull it back up i think he's saying that abstract art it's not it's completely not rational like it's completely feeling it's not it's not thinking as much as it's feeling, and feeling comes from the spirit, and therefore artists would be at the top of the spiritual pyramid, and the people who can't express themselves through art need artists to try and extract that the makes feeling sense. That from That makes sense, them.
3: yeah, I see that. Yeah. Although I'm not a fan of just a piece of a poop. <laughs> like a little piece of paint on there, and there's like, what the hell? Right. And it's costing someone f- bajillions of thousand bucks. Yeah. I don't get that.
0: That's kind of like the perversion of the art world, though, I think. I know,
3: but I don't I don't like that. So I like where you can actually see, like, Impressionism's great. I like mm-hmm. Van Gogh. I mean, George Surratt.
0: Not a fan of Jackson Pollock.
3: See, I don't know who that is. This
0: the guy threw all the paint on the... Oh. Like, just threw paint on canvases and...
3: When I'm drawing, um, I I listen to music, and it instantly, like a lyric or the or the melody, can really m- push it out easy for me.
0: What do you listen to?
3: I like Isley. Yeah, they're my favorite. And Ron, Ron Isley? No, 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 no. <laughs> Isley is a band. They're they're uh, I don't know. <laughs> Not Mr. Biggs. Who's that? Ron Isley. Gosh, that sounds so familiar and I You're feel so no, my It's
0: definitely not that. Give me what you
5: got.
0: <laughs> Sex lady. Drive um, me crazy. They play that at the
3: Black the Sneaker Store. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> busted, it's two o'clock in the morning. Where you been? I like really pretty uh, harmonies and melodies. And strings and piano and mm-hmm. mellow stuff. I like Regina Spector. I like Rufus Wainwright. I like all the emo stuff. But it actually just, it's easy for me to draw when i hear it. Easy. Bjork, I love her.
0: So that's kind of art, extracting art from you. Whoa! Right? Yeah, that's cool. So then if somebody writes and it helps them write to look at your drawings, then... They don't even realize that other artist is also affecting them. That's kind of cool. That's like the residual effect of art.
3: That's neat. I didn't know that was happening.
0: Right? Like, yeah, that's cool. I feel I'm. You know, I'm very influenced by George Carlin. He was very influenced by Danny Kaye. I don't know who influenced Danny Kaye, but at some There's point something. in history,
3: there was like an artist. There's every, yeah. yeah, we're we're just pieces of all the inspiring people we love. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. It's the same with musicians, too. Like but they're, they're still original, but they're piecing themselves as well as what they love, the type of music, the genre they love, too. Huh.
0: This just gave me some great insight into something that I've wondered about a lot, and that is where do all the dead people go? You know, there's so many...
3: That's like, what I'm I, saying. That's I feel, right. like, I, feel like I feel like they come as spirits into the other artists that are on the earth right now.
0: Yeah. I think we're all trying, the reason why we're artists on some level is that we're trying to achieve immortality, I think, through our work. Because just there's something so horrible about dying. I mean, you're obviously thinking about it when you go to the mall.
3: Yeah. I was thinking this today when I was washing my dishes. I was just thinking about, everyone just wants to inspire everyone. That's all we want to do, right? Just Mm -hmm. want to be inspirations to others. Before we leave, leave a little legacy.
5: Hmm.
3: Anyway, all right.
0: No, go on with that though. No, I that's like that.
3: that's all I was thinking. Because I was just thinking of Twitter and just like so many op- opinions, just everything, 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 just going at it. Everyone just saying things mm-hmm. all at one time, and I feel like that's just what their point is—just to inspire, inspire. I think because of these outlets today, that's what our generation is.
0: Even bad people. Even like Hitler, yeah. I think, was trying to inspire people. Even oh, yeah. If, yeah. Even though his heart wasn't in the right place, which is the nicest thing you could say about Hitler.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> his heart was not in the his right heart place. I
3: was in Satan's hands.
0: But th- yeah, you're right. I think everyone's just trying to inspire. And, and that's where all the dead people go because in trying to get achieve a little piece of immortality, like every time I put out a piece of work, it's like this can live on more than me, like my CD.
1: Yeah. My
0: CD, I'm like, "Oh, that's exciting. You know, I could be dead, but this piece of plastic is still going to be around I somewhere." Know. And
3: and thank goodness for the technology too, for how much all these YouTube videos, everything, it's still going to be there if it stays on internet and everything.
0: But I just realized you don't I don't need the CD because I used to think how sad it is that some performer in the 1700s didn't couldn't make a CD and then they just disappeared and they weren't that famous and maybe they did some great stuff and it's gone and that depresses me as an artist a lot I'm like you're going to be forgotten yeah and and the CDs will melt in the plastic you know and they'll, yeah, yeah, they'll yeah. it'll it'll all fade away but it doesn't because that's what i just figured out with you is that that artist in the 1700s inspired someone who inspired someone who inspired Danny Kaye who mm-hmm. inspired George Carlin. I skipped a bunch of people along right, the way, right, but right. and then the so inspiration it was living on
3: through each person. Yeah,
0: and it trickles down to That's me. That's what
3: I think too. I mean, a lot of some things I put up, like videos or just whatever, may be on my blog. But I feel there's some there's maybe three or four people that are like, "Wow, I really love this." I'm like, "Well, I, there we go." I
6: don't
3: mm-hmm. need it. Didn't it made me feel good that those are lives you know
0: yeah
3: I don't need a thousand likes but I feel like just four people or something it' was still nice
0: yeah that's great that's mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. yeah four people like it that's better that's you know it doesn't matter if, if like I put something up and I get haters because yeah if, yeah if one, I can't
3: read those comments man
0: Melissa Villa great episode really love doing that one um, I mean I love doing them all but here's here's another one that's very close to my heart. This is when I got to sit down with Lewis Black, the great Lewis Black, and I met him at his hotel room in Las Vegas. Kylie was with me and uh, sat down again. I was nervous. I didn't know how it was going to go, but I've known Lewis for years, and so that kind of uh, put me at some ease. And what was interesting, I remember, was that Alex found this connection with Lewis uh And part of it had to do with the fact that Lewis believed in psychics. So this clip uh, is following up on the conversation where he had told me that he believes in psychics. And we discussed a little further about what could be or couldn't be predetermined if you believe in psychics. And here's Lewis Black. What's the point of life? What do you think is the The point point of life? Yeah. What do you think is the point of us doing this again and again and again?
7: Well, I mean, just to get it to do it better. I really think that's the deal. The idea is, is that you know this is, you know, the last Christmas was shitty. <laughs> this would be the good Christmas. Uh, this is shitty too, but you know, next Christmas is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but I think really the point of going through it again and again and again is to try to get it right. I mean, that's the way I open my act now. I mean, it's that uh, that I think that that's really. I mean, that's not what I say, and but that's really what I think the point of it is that you. Um, that you wake up every day and you try to learn a little more about yourself and try to keep be a little more open and try to become more part of what the hell everything is and uh, and hope that uh, you know and, and that you you know you've, I mean basically you know you find ways to try to cope with life because it sucks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, We got two quotes here. I usually ask the guests to read the quotes and then we try and make heads or tails of them and wrap the show like that
7: Okay, the stronghold of the determinist argument is the antipathy to the idea of chance This notion of alternative possibility this admission that any one of several things may come to pass is after all only a roundabout name for chance I Can read it backwards?
0: And it, it means, would make just means as the as much same chance
7: for name roundabout, a only all-after, <laughs> is past to come May. Things several of one, any that admission this possibility alternative of notion, <laughs> this chance of idea to the antithopy <laughs> is the argument determinist, the of throng, stronghold. The. It made uh, more it, sense that It, it he makes more the sense that way, actually. Uh, the, um, I have no idea. The,
0: Listen. You know that thing you do on stage? Uh, I don't know why. Um, what? The, you, you, you're blown away by something that... Blah, that, yeah, that, yeah. Feel, that's, that internally is how I feel when I hear this stuff.
7: Yeah. I mean, all it is, and I don't quite understand it, because it's, he says, look, the, the, the fact that people believe in determinism, which is, is that everything is already played out for us, is mm-hmm. against the idea of, that it's the possibility of randomness. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know why... Um, uh, that that uh, he, he, you know, and then the the the, the fact that that uh, several things may come to pass as opposed to one is what chance is. So oh, fuck it. Doesn't
0: the psychic knowing these things sort of prove determinism? Though? Like,
7: no, he just knows that uh, you know because it's uh, you're gonna you you choose to do things that get you to there. But if he's saying, "Don't worry about your friend Lewis; he's
0: going to be okay," it almost implies you don't have a choice in the matter. You're going to be okay, whether. You like it or not?
7: Yeah, that's great. That's bonus points. (laughs) But
0: where's the free choice in
7: Well, here's the free choice. He he didn't have to tell me, A. B, he tells me, now I fucking relax a little. Mm -hmm. And don't, when I have to deal with something, don't fucking worry about it because this guy I don't know is that everything's going to be okay. That's good. You're you're in good hands in other words. Yeah, I mean, you know, he knows, you know. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, it's... uh, it helps um, to have that kind of faith. I mean, you know, there's the psychotic faith that you know some you know uh, of the of certain Christians is like beyond belief. But but basic faith that it's gonna it's gonna work out as opposed to you know I'm a piece of shit. Right? You know why I don't? I'm not gonna amount to nothing. I'm a piece mm. of shit. Is you know, I think whatever you... I don't think it's, you know, Oprah-ish, but I don't think it helps if, you know, you don't hey, really, A, you don't like sitting down with people who think they're pieces of shit. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> At least pretend you're not a piece of shit for the 20 minutes we're having dinner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. <laughs> <laughs> for my
7: sake, have some self-esteem. <laughs> really?
0: No, it's true. From the wonderful Louis Black to the legendary Carl Reiner... This is also one of my favorite moments from doing the podcast, where I got to sit down with the legend himself, Carl Reiner, and we got to serenade each other with Irish folk music. Take a listen to this.
8: Now, when I was about eight or nine years old, my father had a friend named Max Kalfus. He was a German-Jewish gentleman, and he had a brother called John Calvin, who sang on WRA Radio in New York every Saturday. He had a 15-minute show, and he'd say, and here's a song me mother taught me when I was in Me Mother's Knee, and he'd sing an Irish song, and I loved those songs. And one of the first songs I remember is Tumble Down, Shack, and Athlone. And I said to my father, I want to be an Irish tenor." He said, well, you can't, you are Jewish. I said, but he's an Irish man, and is is you can be an, a Jewish singer singing Irish songs. So that's what I hope to become someday. I'm a long way from home, and it's there that I'd roam, to Lolaire and far over the sea. Oh, me heart, it is there where the skies are so fair, and Ol' is calling me. There are eyes that are sad as they watch for a lad from the tumble-down in Athlone, and I pray for the day I'll be sailing away to Ole Eilin, me mother, me home oh i want to go back to that tumble-down shack where the bright roses bloom round the door just to pillow me head on me old trundle bed just to heal me dear mother once more there's a bright guiding light guiding me home tonight down the long road of white cobblestone down the road that leads back to that tumble-down shack to that tumble-down shack in Athlone. All there, right, that's beautiful. Go. See that?
0: You know, that I brought it up because we have this in common. When I was a kid, I said the same thing to my dad. I, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, th- I thought it was a very interesting connection that we shared. I also wanted to be an Irish tenor.
8: Well, you know, there was that particular song, by the way, was sung by almost everybody in the world, starting with John McCormick, way back, going to Bing Crosby. Everybody recorded that song.
0: Well, you did a beautiful rendition. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I used to listen to the Clancy Brothers and memorize the... Oh, really? Uh, do you want to hear one? Yes. All right. There was Johnny Macleod and McGee and me, and a couple or two or three went to spree one day. We had a bup or two, which we knew out of blue, and the beer and whiskey flew, and we all felt gay. We visited McKen's, McLemans, Humpty dance. We then went into swans, our stomachs were to pack. We ordered out a feed, which indeed we did need And we finished it with speed, but we still felt slack Johnny MacLeod turned a red, white and blue As a plate of Irish stew he soon put out of sight He shouted out in chorus with a roar for some more That he'd never felt before, such a keen appetite he ordered eggs and ham, bread and jam, went a cram. Him we couldn't tram, though we tried a level best, for no matter what they brought, cold or hot, matter not. Went down and like a shot, and he still stood to the test. Swallowed, tried and lard, by the yard we got scarred. We thought it make a hard when the waiter brought the bill. He told him to give oar, but he swore he could lower twice as much again and more before he'd had his fill. He nearly supped a trough full of brus and mcgraf. He'll devour the tablecloth, if you don't, all him in. When the waiter brought the charge, MacLeod felt so large. He began to scald and barge, and his blood went in fire. He began to curse and swear, tear his hair in despair, and to finish the affair, called the shopman a liar. Shopman he threw out, and I doubt he'd a claddle he kicked about like an old football. Tarted up his clothes, broke his nose, I suppose, he'd a killed him in a few blows no time. at all Mickle do began to howl and to growl but me soul. He threw an empty ball at the shopkeeper's head. He hit poor Mickey Finn, peeled the skin from his chin, and a rupture to begin, and we all fought and bled. The peelers did arrive, man alive for a five, and thus it made a drive for us all to march away. We paid for all the meat that we ate, stood a trait, and went home to raminate on the spree
8: that day. Now, that is one beautiful rendition of a song I've never heard before. You win hands down. You win first prize, and I get ninth.
0: You know what I realized? In a period, and only two of us are competing. Well, no, I think you win first
8: prize, but mm. I, I'll tell you what. No, that was brilliantly done, brilliantly done.
0: I realized that there's no other use for me knowing that song in my whole life. It had to serve a purpose that I'd remembered it. And all these years have gone by, and it's never served me any purpose until I realized Carl Reiner and I both share an you affinity You know, I, for this. I had
8: a chat with uh, Ferguson on the show, and I was saying that I, I, there was a whole thing about my one of my favorite human beings that ever lived was Pete Seeger, mm-hmm. a great, great, great man. I met him in Hawaii once, and we were talking about folk songs. He he sang for a hundred thousand people, and he make, he got them all to sing along. He gave them the lyrics, and they sang them back at it him. It was thrilling. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And we're talking about folk songs. Is you know a lot of folk songs are m- mainly. The, uh, the the ones from the little towns. He says, guys used to get together. They're all bawdy. He's they're very bawdy. And he sang me one of the bawdiest songs I've ever heard, The Ball of Bellamore. Have you ever heard? No. I told Ferguson about that, and he says, oh, you can't sing that on this show. Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> but he forced me to sing it so he could say, don't sing that, don't sing that. And I sang it up to the, the, the rhymes, but the lo- rhymes were so dirty that you... You don't have to say what the rhyme was. You knew what it was. Uh-huh. It's going to be the dirtiest thing ever. Right. Can I get a piece? Uh, certainly. I'll give you a piece, but I won't go to the rhymes. They're all the ladies, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, have you heard the story of the ball of Bellamore? Four and twenty prostitutes lying on the floor singing, Who'll do you this time? Who'll do you new? The man who did you last time, he cannot do you new. The old fat maiden, she was there, she was in a state of fits, swinging from the chandelier and landing on her... Anyway, it goes like that. There are four more lyrics like that. Each get worse and worse and worse.
0: That's a great moment I never would have had if not for doing this show. And uh, I'll always cherish that one. And it led to such a life-changing experience for me, sitting down with him and Melon having dinner, and then never hearing from either one of them again and processing that. And I think I finally did a good job with coming to terms with that. And, uh, you know, you gotta appreciate what you have in life. That's one of the things I learned when I was in rehab. And it's one of the things I try to internalize now It's just be grateful for the things you have and whatever you don't have is infinite. So don't focus on that. So that's the simple understanding of it. But anyway, moving on, here's my talk with my good buddy, longtime friend, and uh, the wonderful host of WTF, Mark Marin. We talked about Baruch Spinoza. And here's a little piece from that conversation
9: where we talk about ego. That's uh, the idea of, of getting past the ego uh at all. I mean that's why most spiritual disciplines have some sort of uh ego annihilating bit of business. So you, know, you can get to the pure stuff and then you know kind of replace your ego with uh, whatever consciousness is being purveyed to you as an answer.
0: Yeah. It's, that, it that it's goes back to the old better to give than to receive.
9: Why well, no that's a hard one. It's tricky. It's the, tricky.
0: Oh I, I I'm why why were you gonna say it's
9: tricky? I'll tell you what I would think. Because uh, what if you want it?
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If it's better to give to receive, but then you're receiving the good feeling from giving, then you're still receiving. So then it's better to receive.
9: If you can give uh, with with a full heart, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, all right, here, you take it. (laughs) Uh, It's different. (laughs) I spent a lot of money on this. I hope you like it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> <to hear>. <laughs> <laughs> just take yeah. it and leave, like so forget that I ever had it to give you in the yeah. first place.
9: Well, it's tricky, you know, the idea of charity and the idea of service and the idea of uh, helping others, and uh, you know, and, and putting yourself second is 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 contrary to I think most people's nature. And a lot of times, you'll find you're doing that stuff for selfish reasons. You know, like you're, you like, I'm going to give you this because I hear that giving is better than receiving, so I'm going to and see how this feels. <laughs> that's All right. Again, trying to, receive yeah. I'm only giving you a ride because I hear it's something I need to do to be a better person. Right. Now get out of my car.
0: Selfish giver.
9: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is, but I, I, I also do think that if you can experience a feeling of selflessness in a real way and not a petty way, that it is fairly uh, elevating. It's kind of a. It's kind of interest. A relief.
0: Would you say that's way. the best elevation or the greatest elevation in life?
9: Well, for me right now, the greatest elevation in life is relieving is unburdening some of, uh, the things that have been stuck in my, you know, my heart, uh, you know, for a long time. I don't, you know, I don't know quite how to do that, but I find that, yeah, I'm, I'm 50 years old now and there, I don't know that there are things that, uh, there are some, you know, basic human joys or at least human, uh, capacities, that I don't know that I've really experienced it, like, you know, full, you know, full trust with another person, you know, real intimacy. Uh, you, you know, I think that I store a lot of uh, a lot of shame in my wiring that I, you know, I have not been able to process. And I, I think that when you talk about religion and, and tradition and discipline and the idea of yearly atonement or, or, or actually using uh, some of the, the rules of, of, of a religious life uh, is somewhat designed to process that stuff. hmm. But uh, if you don't buy that context, or you don't live by it, uh, you're sort of left to a, a you know, a hodgepodge of, of processes mm-hmm. that you may or may not ever get to. But you know, to sort of feel like you are being true to yourself, I think is is an amazing feeling. And and I imagine that some people have it naturally. I don't. So attaining that, even if it's for a few minutes, is kind of amazing to to hear your real voice or to feel your real heart in a moment of, uh, of, of trust or release is, uh, is pretty great.
0: Where do you feel that you're false to yourself?
9: Well, you know, you're protecting something sometimes, you, you know what I mean? And it's only smart, you, you know, you, you don't want to walk around an open wound though. You know, I, I do a lot of times and, you know, I'm a very sensitive person, but I, I think that, you know, to really feel, you know, uh, present and, and, uh, like you are exactly who you are. Um, there's you know, some integration that has to happen because you know I, I bring a lot of marks with me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a mark that that engages with others. There's a mark who's funny. There's a mark who's still very young emotionally. There, you know, so like for me, because of my fragmented sense of self, you know, the integration is what's happening. And obviously, as you get older, that I, I think it has it just happens naturally, or else you just close certain doors. But for me, there's still some stuff that needs to. To sort of line up.
0: Are you just waiting for them to all merge into one
9: mark at Yeah, That'd <laughs> yeah. be nice. And it's not a schizophrenic thing either. I just no, I like didn't re- see it as that. Yeah. but like recently I've just found that, you know, a lot of the relationships I've had in my life, you know, served a purpose, you know, other than relationship. Sometimes you're in relationships to avoid parts of yourself. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, drama and and petty engagements and and you know giving and taking. Uh, is not coming from the heart it's it's actually insulating your heart
0: it's a distraction,
9: yeah it's avoidance, yeah, yeah, because the risk of being seen you know in in a genuine true light is pretty uh it's pretty it's pretty heavy i mean I think that's also coming back to to yom kippur is is really sort of it is that you know that's the day that god's gonna you know give you the you know he's gonna you know write you in or he's not. So you have to be as sort of honest as possible and, and, and let God see you mm-hmm. and, uh, and see what happens. Mark Marin, the man born on Yom Kippur, the, aton-
0: the atonement king, uh, and of course the star of GLOW and WTF, just uh, an incredible guy and a great friend. And from one great friend to another, and here I am sitting with a man who I worked for for a long time, It was a mentor to me. And it was so important that we got to do this to me to catch up with him. And the story, a little bit of the story behind this is, uh, and I'm talking about Jackie Mason, by the way, a little bit of the story behind this is that I showed up at his building. We were supposed to record in his apartment. But when I got there, he said, I don't feel like hanging around the apartment anymore. We should go out. It's more important that we get, up, get some ambient noise. People love to hear, you know, the way we used to hang out was in diners. People love to hear that. I said, that's terrible for the audio. Nobody wants to hear the clanging around of plates. Uh, what are you kidding me? Who wants to hear nothing when you can get the experience of being in New York? He really just wanted to get out of the house. And we started going from place to place. And one place was too loud. And the next place he he didn't want to go to. And it started to rain. And we're like ducking between umbrellas. And we go to this diner in a taxi a few avenues away. And it's perfect. And they turn the music down. And we start the interview. And then like lunchtime rolls around. And it gets busier and busier and louder and louder. And Jackie, because he didn't want to admit that it was a bad idea to record in a diner, just kept pressing on and, and, and raising his voice louder and louder. And then he ultimately lost his voice before we got very much into Martin Luther's philosophy. But it's still a wonderful conversation. And I'm glad I got to do it and I'll cherish it. And here's a little clip from me and Jackie Mason. Well, I'm, a, I'm very grateful to you for many things. You, you gave me a job and I, I sold merchandise at your Broadway show at Freshly Squeezed. And I used to get to see you perform all the time. The material was so tight and so polished there was no rambling there was it seemed like it was very very to the word written
6: but i'd never seen you write anything down as i mentioned so i I always wondered by the time i told the joke on the stage i keep refining it to make sure that there's no holes in it so i i can't accept myself being unfunny for for more than than 10 seconds i have to my, my comedy is built on having one joke after another as much as possible so that it, there's a rolling chorus of comedy flowing and flying all all night and as soon as i see holes in the next line i either shorten it change it get away from it and make sure that it keeps bouncing so that people can by the time they come out they i want everybody to be able to say wow wow i couldn't stop laughing if they could stop laughing even for, for a minute to me it's too much was there ever any time that you stopped I always feel Um, like working. If I get a job, I'm working. And if I'm not, it doesn't bother me. Lately, I'm working a lot less than I used to because I said to myself, it's not that important to me to work now as much as it once was. Mm -hmm. But uh, I still love being on the stage as much as I ever did. But I don't care if I'm busy or not because walking around is also a pleasure to me, bumping into people on the street. Right. Like you said before, I'm curious about people, so I bump into people all the time. And I find life in general is interesting. There's enough about life to be interesting that you don't have to be performing to enjoy life. And you don't have to be working for a living to enjoy life.
0: What are your favorite things about life outside of comedy? Other than people, observing people. That's about people.
6: it. That's <laughs> My favorite thing about life is just just talking to people. Yeah. I'm walking around a lot. And I'd like to read a lot so that there's, you can't learn everything from talking to people. There's a, there's a lot going on all over the world that you're not going to hear from people. Right. Like right now there's a, a plane crashed and, and 150 people got killed. I'm not going to bump into people that are going to talk about it, but, it's, but I'd like to know what happened about it. How did it happen? What caused it? What are the ramifications because of it? What are the problems and how, which way it affects America, affects, affects people in New York. Who knows, if you don't read about the world, who knows what's going to happen in this country within the next year. You have to know if you should get out or stay here. Don't ever even find that out if you, don't, if you don't get information from other sources. Because there's a great possibility that this whole country could wind down. From hanging out with Jackie Mason in a diner in New York, I got to go
0: and hang with Doug Stanhope at his place in Bisbee, Arizona. Kylie and I drove up there after doing the Phoenix Comedy Festival, and Doug and I got wasted. It was hard for me to really focus on what the hell Plotinus was saying, but I gave it my best go, and whatever came out of it was, to me, still a very interesting conversation. And of course, hanging out with Doug is a priceless experience. Take a listen to this.
10: Kids come down here and they think it's going to be like all Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. And then they see me all fucking like when you showed up. I'm like, ah, fuck. Oh. Ah. <laughs> I mean, give me a couple of drinks and then I can make social. I can just, just talking to you who I know. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah they like, they think it's going to be fucking crazy. And, it's funny, I said to Alex, I don't know how much Doug loves drugs. I know he loves to drink, I don't know. When you do drugs, that's when weird shit happens and that makes it into your act. Mm-hmm. So people think, you do that all the time. No, I just, when I do it, fucking... Some-
0: and by the way, the original guy he picked for you was Hunter S. Thompson. I
10: said, I don't want
0: to do Hunter S. Thompson
10: with, with Yeah, Doug's it's family. a little on the nose, yeah, as too, they say. Too much. Bukowski more than Hunter S. Yeah? As I age. (laughs) Why? Well, because I'm a bitter old miserable drunk that does nothing but sit in a bar and think of things and never do them. (laughs) (laughs) Hunter S. Thompson actually went out and did crazy fucking shit, and I'm a scared old man now. Uh Uh-huh. That's why I have this fence. You have to be vetted to get in here. <laughs> that's what the fence is about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, Plotinus, if that's how you say it, is concept of the one is the unique quality that all things share. Animals, objects, concepts, etc. It is the drive that creates all things. It is also part of its creation. So creation is the one reflecting
10: itself. Take your time and read this like you're talking to me. Yeah. I, I'm not... Catching I'm what you're saying. Wait, your fucking cr- wife's a writer. She can read, probably. Yeah. Can you read that better than him? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Find the bullet points. Uh, uh, Kira? Kylie. Kylie, fuck. Yeah. I, I, I made Gene Connors introduce himself because I couldn't remember your name. <laughs> All right, try that one. The whole thing? Well, just get synopsis? to the get to the point. You just okay. you skim over it. I'll, I'll kill time while you skim over it. But yeah. get find the bullet points where right. how it... What's this got to do with me? Right. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know, philosophers. Comics are philosophers. One of the best jokes, uh, or, uh, you know, the, when a comic has a bit that you go, why the fuck did I never think of that? It's so simple. But Louis C.K., he did a special where he's talking about why men are attracted to tits. And they go, well, because you're weaned on the breast. He goes, so are girls. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, that's so fucking obvious. I right. never thought of that. Girls aren't going, oh, I want that titty. <laughs> <laughs> Some are. I, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not his bit. He's yeah. far funnier. All right. Okay. Take it away, Kylie.
11: Yes. Um, basically, he is not a believer in God. He thinks that God is... It's he calls it the one, and he says that the closest thing we have to God is possibility—the possibility to create things. This is the line I don't get. He says the one is not God because God would create with a sentient mind and therefore be subordinate to the one. So what makes that's us, why
10: yeah. comics are better philosophers because they talk in modern day terminology right. I don't know sentient what does that mean sentient like uh,
0: yeah I didn't know that. Oh, oh geez
10: here, here comes the shout out Kenny sentient ape one of my like probably top five guys that tweets back at me every day hey sentient ape I never know I don't know what the fucking word means we
11: cannot grasp the one rationally because we have finite brains and must trust that it exists I think it
10: means
0: like living is sentient I
11: think
10: project put some roller coaster in reading it Say that same sentence again, where you're <laughs> delivering it. We
11: cannot grasp the one rationally because we. Have we cannot fin- grasp, we the, cannot one grasp the one rationally. The one is the God, because we have finite brains and must trust that it exists. All right, boom,
10: and I, 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 I'll get hate mail for getting the wrong guy. It's either it's not Timothy Leary. It's Aldous Huxley. Oh yeah, we did Huxley on when, this. When I, when I, uh, I I I'll read a book and. If I glean one thought from it, I'm a a happy man because I forget everything. I'll read a whole book. It takes me two weeks to read the thing. But one of them, I think it's Huxley, had some kind of idea that the brain is not the source of knowledge. It's the filter of knowledge where you have ultimate knowledge available to you Mm -hmm. But you can't handle all that because if you have to fucking work at Payless Shoes or Chili's bus and dishes, you can't know the ways of the world <laughs> <laughs> and still be able to just. And, to and that was my yeah. DMT story with Rogan that I won't tell again because I've told it so many times. But yeah, it was like ultimate knowledge is immediately available to you. You know everything and you're calm. And then we had to go back to writing man show monologues. This is stupid. This fucking whole show is stupid. And now I know the meaning of life. It makes it a little bit worse. You had too much information there. Is that kind of what he's saying?
0: Yeah, from my take on it. Yeah, yeah, right? (laughs) Kylie, yeah. Yeah. And sentient, by the way, sentient means conscious, like a conscious Uh being. So the guy, what's his name, sentient monkey?
10: Sentient ape. Sentient that's, an that's his
0: Twitter <laughs> handle. He just tweets me a so lot. He's a conscious ape. That's it. So, Aren't we all? I
10: think that's his, probably his point.
0: And by the way, the Aldous Huxley uh, episode that I was referencing was with my ex-girlfriend, Katie. I think that was in season one or season two. And I haven't heard it in a long time, but I remembered it being very good and probably worth going back and checking out if you haven't heard it. Moving on, here's another amazing comedian who I've been friends with and we started out together and this conversation was another eye-opener for me and specifically this little piece that I chose uh, was a moment that was like oh here's somebody who has a much more mature outlook on the world than I do and she kind of opened my eyes to where I was wrong and never I never looked back it was terrific Uh, take a listen I won't say any more than that Liz Mealy
12: my dad has this idea of what therapy is and it's completely negative and it's all his fault and he doesn't want to talk
0: about mm. it. He puts it all on himself. Yeah. But it's interesting that they both went into healing. You know, they're both... Yeah.
12: Healing things that don't talk back.
0: <laughs> right. Good. I never got to know all this about you, and so so it's almost been like a superficial friendship until now. It's now it's real.
12: But it's like coworkers. I think that's yeah. kind of how most comedy works. Is I you have a lot of coworkers that you're like, oh my coworkers on TV, and you know? I was hanging out with my coworker, and it's yeah. like people you like, but it's like that next level when you go to get drinks with somebody or like you know I live with Carmen, and so uh, my roommate Carmen Lynch, like she is she's not she's more than a coworker. I mean. We share, right. We we share a building together. <laughs> a room, we, we share an apartment. <laughs> uh, like I acted like I own a yeah. whole building. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because you also, it's like it's almost like coworkers that work on different floors. Like you don't see them that often. You run into them at the elevator. Like how many times? Do you, like somebody's getting off stage as you're going on stage, and that's the most you've seen it's them. It's a
0: perfect analogy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see, that's probably my problem. I never looked at it so rationally, like. <laughs> <laughs>
12: You're like, all oh, my um, friends are dicks. Yeah. Like,
0: These aren't real friends. <laughs> no, they're not supposed to be your friends. You just work in the same
12: Yeah, we work in we work in this really big <laughs> building together.
0: I just expect everyone's supposed to be my friend if we're comedians. We yeah. have a lot in common. Yeah. I see you. We're friends. That's- yeah, besties. <laughs> Where's my necklace? Co-workers, That's much better. Yeah, uh, that's a that's and a And you like some of
12: your coworkers, and you don't like some of your coworkers. I think that's
0: right. Sometimes they get a promotion, and you're really happy for them. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, "That should have been my promotion." Yeah, and
12: then you're like, "I'm going to turn off Facebook."
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no one ever gets fired.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they quit. Most most people, some people quit. quit.
12: Yeah, I think we and not even like. I always like, did you ever see Nate Bergazzi's joke where like he's like, How do you quit something nobody knows you do? And he's like, I don't yeah, just like call up Bill Cosby that. and be like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out, buddy. But it was such a perfect joke where you're just like, Yeah, there's just some friends that all of a sudden you're like, Hey, how's it going? And you just think you haven't been on the same shows and they're like, Oh, I haven't done it in two years. And you're like, Oh.
0: Left <laughs> the company, huh? Yeah,
12: you're like, Do you have a wife or like <laughs> a job? Like, what do you do now? Like I you get to the point where you're like, I don't even know what questions to ask real people. What do you do? <laughs>
0: Ah, Liz Mealy's amazing. I don't know how she's not more famous, but I do know how. It's just an awfully difficult business. But she is worthy of great, great fame. And in the meantime, she's somebody you can go and see. And she tours, and she's brilliant, and she's terrifically funny. Uh, Liz Mealy's awesome. I'm really proud of the amazing friends that I have. And, you know, another one that I don't have a clip for you of uh, in this show is my buddy Maddie Goldberg who was on season two, I believe. And uh, we talked a lot about his book, Brain Humor, which is about him surviving a brain tumor and all about what he went through with that. And uh, though I don't have a clip for you of it, I recommend you go and check that one out as well. Anyway, moving on here, we now go to Brian Regan, the incredible Brian Regan. I'd never met him before this. I was so excited to get to do this. I hope I did okay with it. And we met in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, which is where he lives. And just it was just, to me, a dream come true. So much fun getting to hang out with the guy. And
13: here he is, Brian Regan. So he's saying that it's clear, at least from his perspective, that the, the plan of attack that had been happening Um, is too, it's too limiting to, um, where we should be heading as, as, as man and as creators. Uh Okay. That's where, that's, that's where I'm, if I'm wrong, you can hit one of those like game show. (laughs)
0: That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
13: wrong philosophy, wrong, get, him out, get him out of here What do we have for him, Johnny?
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like what Brian was doing there was a lot more like uh, Aristotle than
13: what we I don't know, wow. I'm trying to am totally, yeah. trying to sound like I got my degree because I told you I did um, I don't know, that's what I'm getting out of that It makes sense
0: to me, I mean, I didn't get anything better than that
13: Oh, you're not helping me then. You're just gonna you're gonna no, make me just, do the no, whole no, no, thing no, I, and then go. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll piggyback on that. You got me. <laughs> I'm with you. I wish I could have got through school like that. Um, what he said. I, I want that. That I got the same answer. I prayed every every show
0: beforehand that I wouldn't get busted on this. <laughs> <laughs> but it finally happened. And from Brian Regan there. I take you to another one of my heroes that I got to talk to because of this show. And he came over my house, which was surreal. I mean, it's just one of those weird, amazing things that can happen in life. Um, One of your comedy heroes at your house to do a show that you came up with, some crazy idea of yours. And uh, the guy is so kind and gracious and beyond talented. He's just a genius artist. That's what he is. And he shared some tips in this clip about how he is able to get into these different characters and different people and portray them. And uh, he really is a portrait artist, I think, in uh, in what he does. I always see myself as a portrait artist. I always enjoyed painting portraits. And then I hope in my interviews I'm creating portraits. But he creates portraits in, in, in mimic, in imitation. He And he makes people in Portlandia that are just portraits of of types of people. I just I just love them. Anyway, here's Fred Harmison. When you when you you mentioned you notice something about a person, you think, okay, maybe I could do that guy. Yeah. Do you think you're more attracted to vocal nuances or or
14: to physical? Vocal. You- more attracted to that. But I think what happens is as you start doing like a vocal part of someone, the physical stuff just comes. Like, so the vocal is like the the, sort of the front part of the train, mm-hmm. that's what pulls it. And then all of a sudden the rest of it just follows and you're doing the phase or the posture. But I'm, um, I don't remember it being about the physicality of stuff.
0: I always find that the best impressionists are the hardest people to do an impression of. Oh, wow. Like, uh, I think you'd be hard to do an impression of. I think Mike Myers would be hard to do an impression of.
14: Mike Myers... Um, um, you all. You all. You have to do is you have to remember that you, you have to remember this that he's Canadian. Yeah. So you'd you'd want to do his accent a little bit. He's got like a little bit of a Canadian accent, and then he's very respectful. Whenever he talks to other people, he's very respectful. He's a almost official. Yeah. So just <laughs> picture him. Sort of, it's a very Canadian. He's always he respects everyone around him. Yeah. Um. Uh, he. I feel like he's got. Sort of sort of dignity. Um, so, if you could just picture that—just someone who. Um loves british music just picture someone who loves british music and is very respectful just maybe you know (laughs) do a little bow and then uh i mean i'm not i'm not going to do the accent right he's got like a a slight um canadian accent and then and then you're there that's how you do mike myers yeah
0: well why i was laughing also while you were doing that and people can't see it but just that your body movements did become very mike myers (laughs) as you were talking about oh good good so yeah. So, so you, Bill Hader did an
14: impression of me, and it was really good. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's another one who I would say would be. tough. You know what I mean when I say like if if I was to do Rodney Dangerfield, you yeah. know, it's it's easy, you know. Yeah, you yeah. You kind of yeah. get it. Yeah. He's very. He's a. He's a character. You know himself. Yeah. Even even with what you said about Mike Myers, which I think is a great analysis. I wouldn't say he himself is such a character. He's more, to me like a blank slate that does a great character, you yeah. know? I, I, I kind of get that impression from you, Bill Hader also. Uh, and and I've thought of many others over time. They're just not coming to me right now, but I think...
14: Um, well, sometimes you a good way in is you think about where they're from, right? So you think of Bill, and he's, like, from Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And so he's got a little bit of a Tulsa accent. You can hear it once in a while, and then... Um, Yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of up here, Bill, and he's like very thoughtful, like he's really a pensive person. Um, And you got to think of the shape of his face a little bit, you know, Uh like he's just kind of, so, but his impression of me was, I really enjoyed it. It was spooky.
0: Wow. I love that guy. I still can't believe that he came over the house and that he did my podcast. And I'm eternally grateful for these opportunities. And here's one that happened not too long ago from the most recent season. Um, This is another legend of comedy that I got to talk to at an airport by LAX. And even with the background audio, which always drives me nuts to have background audio, um, I still can really enjoy listening back to this one. Here is the wonderful advice of Mr. George Wallace. What happens when you wind up with all all the material wealth that you want?
5: What do What do you continue to be happy? Continue to share. It also gives you happiness of so sharing your jokes with everybody. That's what we do. We give back. Your purpose on earth is to give back, and that's what we do. Yeah. When you go on stage every night, you can't wait to get up there and make somebody happy. You're giving back. This is taking me to um, the joke in your notebook about
0: Jerry Seinfeld. Rich, rich, rich. I yes. Said. Rich, rich, rich. Rich, rich, rich. Yeah um is there any point to go from rich to rich rich rich
5: oh that's that's Dave Chappelle what's the difference 10 million than 50 million right I, I I'm asking you you got the answer no you know so some, some if, if for instance, if I had as much money as my buddy had let's say if I had 500 500 million dollars plus what would I do I don't think I could hold on to that much money. Not for me personally. There's some other things I could do. Share it. You know, I think uh, Bill Gates does a good job of doing that. And he's still got 500 million, five billion whatever, too. Yeah. All that. Um, what's the difference? Yeah, just that's, that's as long as everybody's happy around me, mm-hmm. give back.
0: So there it is, 100 episodes of Modern Day Philosophers. I hope you enjoyed those clips and that walk down memory lane. It's Joe Franklin's memory my friend. And we had Joe Franklin on the show, too. May he rest in peace. And speaking of people who may rest in peace, and I hope they do, um, I'm going to end this off with a poem from the late, great Shelley Berman, who I went to his house to do this interview, and we became very good friends. He and I and his wife and my wife, and in fact, they were at our wedding. Shelly and Sarah came to our wedding. I got to dance with uh, the legendary Shelly Berman at my wedding because of this podcast. Pretty wild. And because the Jewish high holidays are coming up, I think this is a timely poem that Shelly wrote and performs about Rosh Hashanah, and uh, I think it's enjoyable for anybody, Jewish or not, and it's also something I don't think you can hear anywhere else. I don't know of any other recording, and maybe there is one somewhere, but it would certainly be hard for you to find it. This is Shelley Berman reading one of his poems that he wrote towards the end of his life, again, about the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah, and I'll leave you with that, and uh, I'll say goodbye now. Thank you guys for tuning in, Thank you for supporting the show. If you want to go back and listen to these episodes in full, you can always go and they're available for sale on iTunes. Um, you just type Modern Day Philosophers into the iTunes store. And I think they come out to less than 99 cents each. That's just a nice way to support the show. Or you could always make a donation at moderndayphilosophers.net. It always goes a long way. And please do write in. I love hearing from you guys. You can write me at the at yahoo.com. And also, you know, it's been a while since anybody left a rating on iTunes, but if you'd leave a nice rating and five stars, that would go a long way as well. Um, Hey, you know, my cousin Mark is here. You heard him in the Ralphie episode in the tribute to Ralphie May, and he's hanging out with me here in my apartment in Edinburgh. Mark, you want to jump on the microphone for a second?
15: I want to say good day from Edinburgh. Hello. How are you, everybody?
0: You listen to the podcast too, right?
15: Of course I do. People listen to it from Jamaica, they listen to it from Africa, from Australia, from Scotland, from England, from Ireland, from France, from Wales. So Alright, that's enough. That's enough naming places. You look upset. Should I have not stop no, you? It's okay. It's okay. Just want to say this podcast is unbelievable. I've been at great times listening to you produce it today and putting in all your effort and hard work. I just want to say I'm about to go and do a big jobby. So thank you so much.
0: <laughs> Mark, let me just say something. You know, we've been, uh, you know, you're my cousin, but we've also been best friends for many years and a great support. And you've been coming out to my shows here in Edinburgh,
15: and I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Just let me know the next show tomorrow, and I'm going to promise you I will get people to come. Apart from that, uh, let me go and do my job, because seriously, constipation is a real issue.
0: All right, thanks, Mark. Well, there you have it, folks. And, uh, and that is something to be aware of and be conscious of. Don't be constipated. Uh, that's a public service health announcement for you. Mm. All right, thanks everybody for tuning in and I'll see you next time with another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. Love you all. Take care of yourselves. Be healthy. Stay regular. May I hear another
16: poem before we go forward? You want to hear it? Let's see what else I've got here. Supper. Erev Rosh Hashanah. Does sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Perhaps, though I think otherwise, it was the time of year, its suggestion. But I'm certain I could hear, mingling on the edges of their laughter, tekiah, teruah, jubilee. Then, a playful question for me and time. This family, how long have they been here? Tullesim, in plastic bags, draped upon a chair. Can I deny I saw them there, exclude from memory the time of year? Yet I heard the trumpets clearly. On the edges of their laughter, ancient tropes, curling voices, canting in solemn seesaw miners, uh, Intoning Kia!" I knew at last They are the before and the after, rejoicing, adoring the past. They wrest it from opaque antiquity to dress it now. And Leviticus and Numbers settles on this house, on the late Illinois corn, standing still green in coincidence of Tishri. And September, sing to Tekiah. Exultant, we meet to greet our timelessness. This acre will tomorrow be a street where Ezra reads the law. This family knows how much we share, knows Jews at table, has more than potatoes. <laughs> they share their sons with me. I thought to ask in such households, are all sons called Isaac? I thought to tell them on the second day your story will be ha- read. I thought to tell them burgeoning fruit of the millennia, sages, Sons and fathers of sages, you instruct us all in flowering wisdom and hold innocence. And the pages we read, you will write, have written at this table where all time today is mine. All sons are mine. Do you remember we stood once on a street by the water gate? Heard Ezra read the law. Heard Kia, Tekiah, Tekiah. Times beyond counting. We have gone apart, yet come again together at this table. By this street, by the water gate, this is our singleness of time. At t- the time we are adoring, the ram's horn persuades us. Tekiah, yum, teruah. Had I forgotten this day or known it forever, on this eve of the first day of the seventh month, I sit with friends, and it is revealed. On the edges of our laughter, we are inscribed in the book of life. I love it.